Let's ask a question about what we've been doing for this past month. What is the dream that God has for you that we've been exploring this month? What is the dream that Jesus had as he hung on the cross for us, the communion service that you'll celebrate, uh, that you've already celebrated and renew, and that we're going to celebrate a little bit later here? What was the dream on Jesus' mind? You are complete in him. Jesus died to bring us to the fullness that we were created for so that we could become, so that you could become fully you. God's vision is to restore us to his original design for us, which was a beautiful reflection of his glory, the created center of his story. Do you believe that? This past week, my wonderful personal servants at Amazon.ca who are always wanting to help me in my research, they're marvelous. Before I get up in the morning, they have already been hard at work doing their best to resource me with what I need most. And I don't even have to assign them a job to do. They just do it, and they have it waiting for me on my iPhone when I get up. Isn't it amazing? Mostly annoying. I've learned to just press the delete key without even looking. But they've, got, they've learned the five or six right words based on what I look up to get my attention. And this week, one title got my attention, a book by an author by the name of Nancy Piercy called Even Better Than Eden. The subtitle is Nine Ways the Bible's Story Changes Everything About Your Story. Uh, Some of you have thanked me for referencing a book recently um, by uh, Greg Kukul. Uh, Thought I had a slide about it, but I don't. Greg Kukul, his book, uh, The Story of Reality, Greg Kukul's book grabs your head. It shows us why and how the biblical story makes sense of reality like no other story. This book by Nancy Guthrie grabs your heart. It it takes key themes and features from the story as it was meant to be. The story of the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 and traces from that story how when the story is complete and God brings us into or brings to us, as Revelation 21 says, the home we know we were created for, it will be even better than the home that he created in the beginning. There's a line in in, uh, uh, Guthrie's book that although it wasn't talking specifically about our theme verse in, in Colossians 2, is actually a powerful and pointed paraphrase of that theme verse. You are complete, brought to fullness in him. You are fully you. Fully yourself. I am complete, not just through him, by following his guidelines, his principles, his rules. I am complete in him, in his kingdom. The sphere of his love and his leadership, which means under him. You know, we still struggle with that part of it, don't we? Complete in him includes under him, in his story. You can't be complete in him without recognizing that you are under him. Just this past week, I talked with someone who asked me, why do I want that so much, something so much? I wonder if I want it too much. And I had a good enough relationship with this person that I I said, are you afraid it's because you have too great a need for people to affirm you. 
for yourself to look good? Yes. We don't always struggle with that well, do we, like this person was? Is it possible that behind our huge need for affirmation, our huge need to to put out there our own story, posting ourselves all over social media, is it possible we're really revealing how full of ourselves we really are? We could go on and on in this series about being complete in Him. And in a sense, every single teaching and every single series we do is an extension of this whole theme. Every time we come and listen to a teaching, we should be asking ourselves the question. And here's, here's a bonus for today, by the way. Write this down. Put it in your Bible. Every time we come, we should be asking this question. How might this teaching, this passage from God's Word, help me understand and live into what it means to be complete in Jesus? If you ask that question every time you come and listen to a sermon, no matter how bad the sermon is, you're going to get something to leave with. Complete in Him. So, what that means, says um, Guthrie, you are complete in him, means how to be fully myself without being full of myself. Isn't that the struggle? So, as we wrap it up today, let's just go back and review the big picture before we get into our specific text for today. The, the, the big picture, the first question we have is, is where did I come from? And why am I here? Well, the first thing we realize is that it's not about us. In the beginning, God. At the center, God. This is not my story. This is his story. And I am not the center of the story. And to get to the point of being full of myself, I cannot be even the center of my story. Well, then who am I? Well, I am his creation, the peak of his creation. The created center, but not the center. His creation is the way it is because this creation, you talk to scientists and just, it it, it blows you away how much this environment is just precisely, precisely the environment in which I can thrive and become who I was fully created to be. He made us to be the created center, but we want to be the center. We want to be complete in ourselves. And so wanting to become more, as we saw several weeks ago, we become less. We are beautiful but we are broken. And right from the time that we made that choice to walk away from God, God brings into the promise or into the picture a promise, a vision, a way back. Jesus is brought into the story right from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. And the key plot of the rest of the story is how God will restore what is broken, how God will raise up what has fallen to an ultimate destiny when Jesus is all in all. The entire creation complete in him. Listen to how, how well, in, in the New International Version, it says the epilogue in Genesis 22. Listen to what it says. Genesis chapter 22, verses 12, and, and a few phrases from, from the next paragraph. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first... And the last, the beginning and the end. Ultimately, all things will be under his feet. In verse 17, he says, let the one who is thirsty, who senses their need for this, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of life, come. He talks there about having, in verse 14, about having the right to the tree of life. An allusion 
back to the garden, recreating Eden even better. The question is, will I be there with him? And the answer is, you can. If I have accepted his solution for coming back into the story that we walked away from, his story. If I have accepted his solution, life in Jesus, life from Jesus, life through Jesus, life under Jesus. The great exchange that Dave talked about last week, giving up everything to receive everything the one who is everything has for me. And the rest of the Bible, from Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 3 or chapter 12 perhaps, as some people say, is all about how God is working in history to bring to us and to work in us the completeness that he created us for, complete in Jesus. And there are many examples throughout that story, many of them bad examples, as we read, uh, Paul says in the book of Corinthians. Examples of how to live into my destiny in light of the dilemma that we have of being broken. Which, in essence, is to follow Jesus in becoming beautifully broken. Last week, we saw one way that God invites us to live in that vision of beautiful brokenness, and it's all about this great exchange. Giving Him everything, trading my brokenness, my sin, my weakness, my failures, acknowledging them, owning them before God, and receiving as we give it up to Him, receiving His righteousness, His spirit, His power. You see, with God, when we trade in things with God, it's always trading up. We will always get the better deal with God. And today we'll look at one more of those life processes in this stage three of the story which we're living in now. One more life process God brings to us and invites us to cooperate with him as we live in our dilemma in light of our destiny. I think the best way to understand the passage that we're going to look into in a bit and what God is doing in, in this process during this time is to look at this idea of complete in Jesus from what we might call a, a theological angle. Our completeness in Jesus actually comes in phases or stages. The first stage is, is our status or, or the standing we have in Jesus. When we come to see who Jesus is, what he has done to make us his, and make the choice to, to change our citizenship... Our loyalty from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son he loves, as we read in Colossians, there is nothing more we can do to get a fuller standing in that kingdom. We are already fully complete in our standing in him. Joint heirs with Jesus. Can't get any more full than that. Brothers and sisters of Jesus, not just Jesus the man, Jesus, the heir to the throne of God. In one sense, the moment we say yes to a Jesus, we are complete in him. The story actually talks about that status in legal terminology. A court of law which makes it so. The, the, the term is called justification. A status, a legal status, the status that I have with God. Not a status I was born with, but it's as real as being born again. We are complete in Him. But there's an ultimate completeness that we still don't have yet. The third stage, our ultimate destiny. Now, now we th when we think of our ultimate destiny, sometimes we call that destiny heaven. 
What are the questions we tend to have when we think about that destiny? We tend to wonder where heaven is. Okay, a place, right? And we tend to wonder what heaven will be like. Now, those are not bad questions. They're not invalid questions, but those are not the central questions. They are secondary questions. They don't speak to the dream we have when we grasp the privilege of our status of completeness in Jesus and our dream of ultimately experiencing our full completeness in Him. You see, when we make the the where and the what the big questions about heaven... It's, it's sort of like thinking about marriage based on what we think the house we'll be moving into will look like. If you have a friend who's engaged to be married and all they talk about is the house they'll be living in, at some point you begin to think, hmm, they have some big prizes, surprises coming about marriage. And at some point you're going to be wondering, how long is this going to last I wonder if they realize how self-referenced they are, right? Those of us who have had the wonderful and the undeserved privilege of having a good marriage, we've all been through stages in which we've said to each other, sometimes it has to do with having had to make a difficult move from a place we loved. We've all come to the point of saying, you know what? Home is where you are. That's my home. As LaDonna and I have passed a certain decadal number in our age, everyone seems to be asking, where will you retire? And human that I am, my first thought is, I know what they're really asking. They're fishing for an answer to the real question. When are we finally going to have you retire? Right? (laughs) Well, let me answer those two questions as definitively as I can. When will I retire? (laughs) I really don't know. Best answer I can give is is, is that I see so much work God has still for me to do. I don't know if I'll ever retire. I don't know if I'll ever die. Where will I retire? Well, I do have a definitive answer for that one. LaDonna and I have talked about it. And it's this. If God is gracious, he will allow us to retire with each other. The geographical where? I have no idea. All I know is that we would love it if God allows us to still be there together. If you've lost a wonderful marriage partner and all people talk about is where they will retire, what is it you're thinking? You're thinking, I just wish I had my wife or husband to retire with. I don't care where the where is. You see, when we get a grasp of being complete in Jesus, the vision we have is, well, let's see how Paul describes that vision in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will, will, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so forever we will be with the Lord. The big deal is not what heaven will be like. It's who I will be with. One of the signs that we're living in this story is that we will begin to dream more and more of the day 
that we will ultimately and experientially be fully complete in the story with him. And let's look at how John describes it in his first letter. 1 John chapter 3. Look at the great love the Father has lavished on us. A love that allows us to be called children of God. And that is what we are. Full standing as children of God. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know this. When Christ appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. It's not about where heaven is or what heaven will be like. It's about who I will be with. With him fully and finally. And who I will be like. Like him. Fully and completely. Experientially. I will be. Right where my standing now tells me I am. Theologians have a term for this too. It's called glorification. Fully seen to have and to be the glory for which we were created. Now, understanding the status I have now and the destiny that I will have, like him and with him, it should make it obvious what, what we would expect in this, in this middle time, this in-between time, shouldn't it? That beginning point and that end point should make us clearly understand God's PDP for us right now, his, his pro, uh, personal development plan for us. Those two brackets should make it clear the answer to the question we always ask. I wish I knew what God is doing. He's giving me opportunities to grow into my ultimate destiny, to live up to and live into the status I've been given, complete in Jesus. Theologians have a term for this too, believe it or not. They spend all their time thinking up terms. It's called sanctification. Sanctified, to set apart, holy, set apart from myself, from things, from my dreams, for him, as much like him as I can be, beautifully broken. Now, with that as a background, turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to see one more key process. Actually, our processes began in the, 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 the second teaching, Beautifully Broken. Last week, a second way to live into that process was to do the great exchange. Trading in means trading up. Today, one more life process as to how God is building his story in us. Cooperating with him to help us become fully ourselves without being full of ourselves. If you've read John's gospel more than once, you'll know that John's purpose is to show how through Jesus, in Jesus, we can have what? Fullness, completeness of life. So that we can be fully us. John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, complete in him. As we come to John chapter 15, we have the last of Jesus' powerful I am uh, metaphors. Uh, in uh, chapter 6, it was bread of life. Chapter 8, light of the world. Uh, chapter 10, the, the door into home. The good shepherd who leads us there. 
I am the resurrection and the life, the life in chapter 11. In chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now a final one to wrap it up. I am the vine. In John's account, this, this picture of a vine is really the climax in the teaching of Jesus, how Jesus works to bring us into that completeness, how God works through Jesus to bring us into that completeness. In one sense, the vine moves the story along because in the Old Testament, who was the vine? Israel was the vine. And now Jesus, new stage in the story, is to become the vine, the real vine. Listen to God's word. I'm just going to read uh, the first eight verses this morning. John 15, 1 to 8. The whole section goes down to verse 17, but we're just going to focus on a few key pieces from verses 1 to 8. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch in me that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Withered such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire. And burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We're going to walk through those eight verses, picking up just several key themes. How does he begin? I am the vine, my Father is the gardener. The picture, if you want the puzzle to be complete, the picture has to begin. The picture of reality is about Jesus and the Father. Oh yeah, you? Yeah, you're in the story. You are the branches. Can you see how that fits into the picture we've been painting? The allusion to the original setting, God and the image of God together as one. Jesus is framing our new story in light of the way it always was to be, I am the vine. Now, no one doubted that Jesus was a man, a real man, a true man. That was obvious. But John has shown how Jesus is clear that he was also more than a man. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John chapter 8, Jesus made this controversial statement before Abraham was, I am. In other words, before Abraham came to be, I always was. There was a beginning point to the life of the one you look to as your father, Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus is declaring himself to be the God who revealed himself to Moses as the great I am. Do you see how Jesus points to that in this word picture of John chapter 15? I, with God, am, am part of the core I'm the vine, he's the gardener. I have become the vine as a human. I've become part of your story, the central part of the story, to become beautifully broken so that you can come back into the story. My role in creation is not just to show you how to live, to do what Adam and Eve didn't do. I came to be the center of creation and draw you into it again. 
I am the vine. You are the branches. You are in me, but it's not about you. Your only true identity is that you are in the vine. And as as Jesus fleshes out the significance of this picture, he points out to three things that it means to grow into the completeness we have in him, the fullness of life we're really longing for. Now, before we see those things, I have a story. After living for 14 years in a, in a starter home, the limits of which over time were becoming more and more evident, we finally, after six years of searching, found a house that fit. It not only checked off all the boxes, it had several big extras. And one of the extras was in this town with the climate the same as Edmonton, there were five fruit trees. Five fruit trees. I'd never had fruit trees. But I love fruit. Four apple trees and a wonderful sour cherry tree. And these trees were mature. The nicest of the apple trees, the nicest of the apple trees, served a dual purpose. Our master bedroom overlooked the backyard, which was a south-facing backyard, which means afternoon and evening sun, hot sun in the summer. And this tree was perfectly positioned 10 to 12 feet outside the bedroom window and, and right beside our backyard deck. It was just perfect. It framed the deck. It gave shade for the window. And at this time, when we, when we came to the house, it was about 18 to 20 feet high. Our first year there, my mouth watered all summer long as I saw hundreds of apples growing on that tree. And come mid-August, I could no longer resist. resist and I, I picked one of the almost full-grown apples. I took a bite out of it. It was tasteless. I thought, well, that's disappointing. And Well, maybe a few more weeks will we'll do it, bring some taste into them. And so two weeks later, they looked mature, starting to red. I tried another one. It was tasteless. We picked bags full of them, processed them, and, and, and thought maybe we can cook some taste into these apples. Tasteless. Ten pounds of sugar. Tasteless. <laughs> the other apple trees small and not that great looking, they produced some pretty tasty apples. But the most beautiful tree, tasteless apples. One year I met someone who had worked on an orchard in, in fruit country, and he wasn't a professional, but he had picked a lot, and he had helped uh, uh, the, the owner of the orchard quite a bit. And So I showed him the tree and told him my dilemma, and he looked hot at it for a while, and I thought he was pondering what to do, but he was actually pondering how to tell me the news. Um, and, and he finally said something like this, Mel. He said, you're going to have to make a choice. He paused. He said, do you want a shade tree or do you want a fruit tree? Do you want a tree that looks good or do you want a tree that produces fruit? He paused again and then he finished. And he said, the way it's been allowed to grow, it may be too late to bring it back to be a fruit tree. I certainly wouldn't know how to do it, he said. And so for years, we just did the default thing, let it stand there as it was. And Now, we, we had a right to do that. It was our tree. But if we want to be part of the story God is writing, we have to consult with God on that. And Jesus is very clear about that choice. Bearing fruit. Seven times 
in these eight verses, fruit, 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 bearing fruit, much fruit, even more fruit. That's Jesus' goal. So the number one thing we need to do to cooperate with God in this PDP program he's got for us is I have to make the choice that producing fruit for God through God is a greater value to me than looking good and feeling good. I have to recognize that my natural bent, the underneath story that I live by, is in one in which I am full but I'm full of myself. As a 22-year-old, brand-new youth pastor, taking on my first job, I'd, I'd done my school education, thought I was prepared for what God had me. But within six weeks of arriving at my new job on the other side of the country, God very quickly dragged me into a PDP experience. I was laying flat on my back in the intensive care unit, alert, alert and alive, but with a spontaneously collapsed lung. In those days, when you had a collapsed lung, you went into ICU, the only one who could come see me was family, which I had none of in Ontario, or a pastor whom I worked with. So he came to see me. I was was frustrated. And on the surface, my frustration was that they had brought me all the way across the country. They had invested in me as a 22-year-old, and I came there to produce, to prove myself. But here I was in a hospital bed, not producing. I probably even said, why in the world is God allowing this? Can't figure it out. The pastor who I was working with, who had a wonderful way of being very clear and very direct, he said something like this. I don't know exactly what he said, but this is, the, this is what I remember. Mel, as I listen to your words, I think I might have an idea as to what God's doing. Let me tell you what I've heard from you. I've heard I can't understand it. I'm fit. I'm strong. My body has never failed me. Seven months ago, I was part of a national championship basketball team. Two months ago, I was manhandling steel in a construction job. And then he said this. Could it be that you're thinking too much of yourself and your body, what you can do. Maybe the reason God has you here is to remind you it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's not about your abilities. You see, I was saying I wanted to produce fruit for God, but I was thinking and maybe acting like this was all about my abilities, my strength, which meant that I needed to look good. I was too full of myself. Friends, when when I process what is and what isn't happening in my life, when I'm frustrated asking God, why are you trying to do this or what are you trying to do in my life? What if I asked another question of myself first? Is the reason I can't see what God is doing is that I'm saying the word, but underneath it's all about how I look and how I think I look? Is the reason I'm not seeing it is that I naturally have the assumption I know what's best for me? Yeah, but doesn't God promise to give me what I want? Oops, hold it right there. God's promise is, if you desire what I desire, you can ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Here, he says, if you remain in me, 
and my words remain on you. Ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. What would happen if when we get into those places of frustration and confusion with what God is trying to do with us, if we said, well, I know the main thing God's doing. I'll, I'll just go with that. He's inviting me into completeness in Him. He's inviting me to develop the fruit of a life lived in Him, for Him, which means to be fully in Him. I can't be full of myself. What kinds of fruit? Well, there's two kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about, inner life qualities. Galatians 5, the, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of a life lived by God's empowerment, the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness. Maybe he's working on some of those. Outer life behaviors, serving and loving, as, we, as he talks about later in this passage. Helping others see the beauty of this story as I show the beauty of the story lived through me. Do you know how we approach it? We approach it by saying, you know, if God would just do something to change something, or if other people would only cooperate, then I could do what God wants me to do, produce fruit for Him. Folks, there's no situation, no situation you're in that can keep you from producing fruit because you are complete in Him. You have His fullness in you. The question I need to ask is how can I leverage this situation to show, to show and develop the kind of fruit God wants to produce in me? Because if I don't, well, what did Jesus say to Saul? Saul, it's really hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against what I'm prodding you into, right? It's hard for you to work against my purposes. And what's the key thing we need to know in becoming a person who produces God's fruit? Well, I just need to understand what spiritual gift God is giving me. No. <laughs> the number one thing we need to know about the PDP process is it's not about what God's giving me, it's about what God's removing, removing from me because I'm full of myself. So he's got to take away something. It's called pruning in this passage. Two kinds of taking away God does. Number one, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. To be fully me, there's got to be less of me. A lot of me that needs to be taken away. There are a lot of dead parts of me that aren't producing fruit, that never will produce fruit, that God says to be complete in me, because you are complete in me, you don't need that anymore, right? There are a lot of branches that just are just look good branches, and he's saying, you know, they're just sucking up a lot of energy. They look good when you look in the mirror, when you think it's about you, but they're not really helping you become like me. Sometimes he takes away stuff that we think we need, but that we have become way too dependent on. It's not just something God does. It's something God expects us to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, throwing off everything that hinders me from running well including the sin that so easily tangles us up. I was talking with somebody this morning who's making a difficult transition from a home they lived in for many years to sizing down and whatever. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's not that life is tough, it's the transitions in life that are tough. From elementary school to junior high, from junior high to high school, from high school on, 
It's the transitions that are tough. You know why the transitions are tough? Because in every transition, there's, some, there's not only something that we get and move into, but there's something that we are taken away from. There's some pruning, some losing, some letting go, something that has to be less in order for the more to happen. And that less is always me. That's one kind of taking away God does, but there's another kind He does, and sometimes this is even more hurtful, especially to our eagle. It's trimming the branches that are producing fruit. That's the pruning part of it. It's what God does to shape and to refine and, and trim back the me part of the the story, that very thing that he wants to use. Sometimes that pruning comes through criticism. Sometimes it comes through not seeing the results happen that you want. Sometimes it comes through praying hard for God's guidance, making a decision that you thought was right and finding out what, what, it wasn't what you thought it would be. Does that mean we heard God wrong or that people in our environment are not cooperating with God? Not necessarily. Maybe God is putting me through a pruning process. I'm in the right place, but I'm not yet quite in the right space to, be really, to, to really bloom where I'm planted, to produce fruit. So how are you right now cooperating with a pruning factor in your life? It's happening. God's trying to do it. Are you seeing it? At every stage in life, it happens. Number one, understand what God's doing. Number two, Understand how God is doing it. One more thing. But to see that thing, we have to realize that to this point in the story, up until verse 5, there's no commands. He doesn't command us to produce fruit. He expects us to produce fruit, but he doesn't command us to do it. The first command is verse 5. Remain in me. Seven times he's told about producing fruit. Seven times he says, remain, abide, continue in, stay connected, vitally connected to me. My part in this whole process is to develop disciplines of, of what the, the old King James Version says of abiding. When I think of what Jesus is saying here, I think of Christmas trees. I'm going to try and tell this story really fast. We, we used to, uh, when I moved to Prince George, B.C., I said, no, we're not having bought Christmas trees. You don't live in this country and buy a fake Christmas tree. You don't even buy a grown Christmas tree. You go cut a Christmas tree. So we did. We'd cut Christmas trees. But they were never as perfect as the fake ones. God doesn't do as good a job as man. No. Anyway, so I decided... I'd always get a little bit bigger tree and I would cut branches off the bottom and I'd drill holes into the trunk and I'd stick those branches in and I'd take fish line and tie. My record was six branches I took under this tree. It looked beautiful. For nine days. <laughs> All of a sudden you'd look on the ground and here's a bunch of needles on the ground. Why? That tree was stuck there or that branch was stuck there but it wasn't really abiding connecting vitally in the trunk. You see, abiding well is not all about just taking more rest. Abiding well energizes us to work hard. Here's how Paul puts it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
He's not talking about his personality. He's not talking about his ability. He's talking about God's grace that brought him into God's story that gave him an undeserving role in that story. And he says this, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, he says, I worked harder than everybody else. Oh no, not me, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, abiding well inspires and energizes us to work hard. It's not about working less, it's about working differently. It's about working from a posture of rest, of abiding in, number one, the Word of God. Number two, the amazing love of God. That's what our passage says. Um, I was reading this book in a, this week in a book by Bruce Wilkinson called Secrets of the Vine. And he talks about an experience he had later in later midlife that, that, that we might sometimes call burnout. And, and he went to a, a mature godly friend who, who brought him to this passage of John 15. And he says, when I arrived home from my meeting with George, I made three simple commitments to the Lord for the next year. Number one, I would get up at 5 a.m. every morning to read my Bible. Number two, after reading my Bible, I would write one full page in a spiritual journal. And number three, I would learn how to pray and seek him until I truly found him and him alone at the center. The reason that was so powerful for me Without reading this book, it's exactly what I did at a period of my life when I found myself in the same place, abiding in him. And that is what this ceremony that in Renew you celebrated just a little bit ago, and we're going to celebrate now, that's what it's all about. Living in light of the one who was beautifully broken for us, taking in, receiving in, a pattern to live by, empowered by daily abiding and remaining with his love at the core, giving ourselves to live in real life, the life we have in him, beautifully broken for the sake of others.